The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with In the Red. Stock futures under some pressure yet again as we get set for the final trading day of February. Wall Street, however, still on track for its fourth winning month in a row. The big test today is going to be inflation, the release of the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. We're talking PCE. That's out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Also, crypto winner kind of appears to have thought on us. Bitcoin surging to its highest level in more than two years. That's ahead of a key market-moving event. Plus, the Department of Justice reportedly eyeing Boeing and its door plug problems. And then later in the show, just one day after just scrapping its EV ambitions, Apple now, it's getting set to disclose its plans for artificial intelligence. We'll have to wait and see. It's Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready for the trading day ahead. The last one of February, we're going to kick off the hour with a check of U.S. stock futures. After a lower session for stocks yesterday on this final trading day, take a look. You can see futures. They're in the red across the board. We're really keeping our close eye right now on the Dow. Looks like it would open 125 points lower. We'll continue to watch that throughout the morning. All right. Despite the recent weakness, last few days, the major indices, they remain on pace for their fourth positive month in the row Take a look at these charts here. Going all the way back to November 1st, we're talking gains between 17% and 24% during that period. The Nasdaq leading up just over 24%. We're also tracking this morning a possible broadening of market leadership. Even though stocks are lower for the week, there's still 67 S&P 500 names that are trading at all-time highs or 52-week highs. And get out the notepad. We've got a long list for you. We're talking Home Depot, Costco, AbbVie, Netflix. Also, you got to flip the board on you. General Electric, American Express, Micron, and Sherwin-Williams. So just a broad-based rally, it seems like. Sticking with that theme, the S&P Equal Weight Index. Now, it's outpacing the market cap-weighted index this week by nearly 50 basis points. You can see the equal weight, the dot SPXEW, just ticking into positive territory while the S&P down just over a third of a percent. All right. We also want to check the bond market this morning. That's ahead of today's PCE reflation import report. The benchmark right now at 4.30. We've seen it tick up just a few basis points throughout the week, each individual day. And we're also looking this morning at Bitcoin after surpassing highs and not seen since November of 2021. This morning, we're seeing Bitcoin trading at 62,601. It's up almost 4%. Remember, Bitcoin does trade around the clock. And we will debate The true investor virtues of Bitcoin later this hour. But again, Bitcoin up just about 4%. Okay, that's your morning setup. Now let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. 
Hey, Frank, good morning to you. The Justice Department is reportedly looking into Boeing's midair door panel blowout and the possibility of criminal prosecution. According to The Wall Street Journal, the DOJ is examining whether the incident falls under the government's 2021 deferred prosecution agreement with the company over two previous fatal crashes of its 737 MAX jetliner. Shares of Snowflake sinking ahead of the open, at one point losing more than a fifth of its market value. Right now, we're seeing it down about a little over 23 percent in extended hours. Now, this after the cloud computing company announced its CEO is stepping down immediately with its senior vice president of AI and a former Google executive taking his place. The company also out with a weaker than expected sales outlook in its latest earnings report. And shares of Weight Watchers set to extend yesterday's losses after revealing that Oprah Winfrey is leaving the company's board of directors. The company was worth as much as $6.8 billion back in June 2018, but has seen its market cap shrink below $500 million on this news, Frank. And shares down more than 20% yeah. right now. Made a lot of news when Oprah... Uh, she basically admitted that she uses those GLP-1 drugs. Yes, she uh, did. Interesting to see her leave WW. She was very open about that. We'll yes. Savannah, we'll see you later in the show. Thank Good. you. All right, we're turning now to a news alert out of Washington, D.C. The Biden administration announcing the Commerce Department will begin investigating the national security risk from so-called connected autos that have parts made in China or other countries of concern. So speaking on a call with reporters last night, Commerce Secretary Gina Ramonda says, her department is concerned about personal data risk if your phone connects to your car. Other key areas of concern, calls from your bank and critical GPS data. Also, the risk that your vehicle, it could potentially be remotely disabled by bad actors in China. The White House says they want to take action now before Chinese-made cars become more widespread here in the U.S. Taking a look at Chinese autos, though, they are moving higher right now. Xpeng doing the best out of all of them, up almost 3%. All right, back to the markets. Investors bracing for the big event of this week. The latest look at the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, January PCE. It's out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Expected to show just a, just a slight uptick from December, but a slight drop from a year ago, likely coming in at under 2.5%. The data coming after the CPI reading earlier this month showed inflation remaining stubbornly high for much more. Let's bring in Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst at Baird. Ross, good morning. Great to see you. Great to see you as well. All right. So PCE is coming out. We we're just showing the, uh, the headline numbers just now. You know, here on CNBC, a lot of people in the market, we cover just every cough and spit. We try to get any insight to what this could mean for the Fed. But I don't think you're doing that. You think we're getting a cut in June. We're getting four cuts this year. So in your mind, is PCE actually that important? You know, probably not. Um, I mean, it is in a sense that it's, it's an important data point in an economic environment where inflation is the key driver. But at this point, you know, the market expectations for the Fed are right in line with their December SEP. Um, we're probably not getting cuts or anything on QT until later this year anyway, when there will be plenty more data on whether inflation is sticky or just having a sticky patch. Um, so, so it's not that it's not an important uh, data reading here. It's very important just to, to get a better sense of things. But as for the Fed, I think it would have to really surprise to the upside, which is not totally out of the question right. for them to actually change how they're thinking. All right. So since that hotter than expected CPI read, it was a case where kind of, I guess, bad news was good news, at least if you're a fan of the broadening of the market. So since that CPI read, we've really seen the, the market broaden out. So in your mind, if this PCE number comes in hotter than expected, what does that mean for the markets? 
if it comes in quite a bit hotter than expected, it's probably near-term risk off, not all that different from, from CPI. Um, and you, and you might see that, but I, I, to your point, right? The market has broadened out in spite of the fact that it's taking Fed rate cuts off the table. To me, that's a very, very bullish signpost that the market is broadening. The economy is remaining pretty resilient, right. despite the fact that rates are likely to remain restrictive for the rest of this year. So, Ross, I want to bounce something off of you. I know you're a big fan of cyclicals right now, specifically industrials and consumer discretionary. Consumer discretionary is actually leading this week. But uh, new note from Fundstrat last night. I want to get your take on this. Uh, according to Mark Newton, he says this mild consolidation should represent a buying opportunity for a push higher into mid-March before any consolidation sets in. And he adds it's very possible that the triple Qs could lead the markets higher. That's the NASDAQ 100, of course, mega cap tech. Agree or disagree? I'm definitely more in that camp than not. I think really? consolidations and corrections are viable. I think cyclical leadership remains, whether it's in the, the tech and, and tech adjacent consumer space or whether it's in something like industrials. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into cyclicals. I'm buying on consolidations. And I think the economy remains pretty strong for the rest of the year. Ross Mayfield from Baird. Always great to see you. Thank you, Ross. All right, we got Thank a lot more you. to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors just have to know. But first, breaking down the GLP-1 weight loss revolution and what treating obesity and the youngest portion of our population, what that could mean for the companies behind these breakthrough drugs. Plus, following Meta's lead, Salesforce rewarding patient investors with a new quarterly dividend. But the stock not reacting in a positive way this morning. We're going to dig into their earnings report coming up. And then later... The Queen Bee and Taylor Swift effect showing no limits, getting high praise on one quarterly conference call. We have a very busy hour still ahead for the Swifties and everybody else. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Ozempic and other GLP-1 drugs, they've just disrupted the weight loss industry, but... The next major market for the companies behind these treatments, it may be children. Roughly 20% of the kids here in the U.S., they're living with obesity and the health conditions that come with being overweight. Our Melissa Lee took a, takes a closer look at these struggles in the new CNBC documentary, Big Shot, The Ozempic Revolution. At 12 years old, Natalie is pre-diabetic and she takes medicine for high blood pressure. How's everything going? Okay. Her doctor, Sarah Armstrong, says these conditions are common among kids with obesity and our modern environment isn't helping. It's hard to get physical activity. You have to work to do that, where in the past that was just part of daily life. 
foods are much more calorically dense, nutrient poor. You really have to work hard and pay more money to get foods that are healthy. Dr. Armstrong founded the clinic here, and she helped write the national guidelines for childhood obesity treatment. One key aspect is that doctors should tell families about all options, including surgery and medication, as soon as their kids become eligible. While certain GLP-1 drugs are approved for kids 12 and up, there's only a year's worth of trial data on that age group. Some parents might listen to this and, and think, how can the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend medication or say it's okay for kids when there are so many unknowns still? That answer is actually quite simple, and that's because we know the consequences of untreated obesity. And those consequences can be devastating. And you can watch Big Shot, the Ozempic Revolution, where it premieres tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern and 10 p.m. Pacific right here on CNBC. Let's talk much more about the future of these weight loss drugs with Emily Field, lead analyst for European pharmaceuticals at Barclays. Emily, good morning. It is great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, Emily, I got to say, I kind of raised my eyebrow just at the idea of, of kids taking these GLP-1 drugs. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give a confession. Uh, I was a heavyset kid myself. I used to shop, we called them the Husky section here in the U.S., but my parents just kind of let me outgrow it. Um, there's only about a year's worth of trial data for kids, only as young as 12 for these GLP-1 drugs. Do you really believe that parents would put their kids on these drugs? Is this the next growth area? Yeah, I mean, great question. I think, you know, this is certainly drugs that are not for everybody. And I think that physicians are going to be much more discriminating in those younger populations. But I think, you know, exactly to the point that the uh, doctor made in, in the clip that you just aired, we really need to think about these drugs as preventative medicine, right? Because we know the consequences of untreated obesity, heart disease, um, liver disease, things like that. And so what we're hearing from doctors more and more is treat obesity early and you, go, you don't get things like type 2 diabetes. Okay. So that's when it comes to kids. When we're talking about the adult population, how much more widespread do you see these drugs really getting? Yesterday, we had the CEO of a, a big gym chain on. And he believed that these GLP-1 drugs are actually complementary to some parts of the fitness business because you don't just take them and lose weight. You do have to stay active. You do have to eat right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, with a lot of the, you know, programs that offer weight loss medications, you do see also, you know, diet counseling, things like that. And the doctors that we speak to think you really should be taking a holistic approach towards towards managing obesity and all of the side effects that come with that. But, you know, we really think that this will be the largest pharmaceutical class ever. We're out there saying we think it could be $100 billion over the next decade. Um, and in terms of how that translates over the next few years, it's really going to be how fast can they make these things? Let's talk about supply. Really? That's very interesting. OK, so you cover a number of drugs in this space. Eli Lilly, you have that at overweight. AstraZeneca, also overweight. Roche at equal weight. And then Novo Nordisk at uh, overweight. They're coming up. They're having their investor day. What are you expecting? What kind of announcements related to weight loss drugs are you expecting? Yeah, so I think the thing that we're really focused on for Novo's CMD next week is any updates on the earlier stage pipeline. You know, are they going to talk about things that they have going on in a pill form, obviously, because we know Ozempic and Wagovi are, are shots that you take once a week. And then, of course, we're going to have questions on supply. You know, Novo Holdings is doing this deal to purchase Catalent, which is a drug manufacturer. They are still ongoing with closing that deal. So probably not too specific comments, but really pipeline and supply, I think, are what investors are going to be focused on. You know, it's interesting that you're talking about pipeline and supply. Cat 
Adelant was very involved in distributing the vaccines all around the country. I actually talked to them quite a bit when I was covering that. So it's interesting that they're looking to buy a company that has that level of capabilities. Uh, before we let you go, I want to talk to you about two companies. I know you don't specifically cover them, but Viking Therapeutics and Zealand. Um, they had some news this week. Are these smaller companies, are they at all a risk to these bigger companies that we just mentioned where you're mostly overweight? Yeah, I mean, great question. And so how we've always been thinking about this market for at least the last few years is it's going to get more competitive, right? These are the biggest markets. And, uh, and of course, more companies are going to try to catch up to Novo and Lilly. But we do think that those two leaders have such a great advantage so far that the Viking data and the Zealand data they look kind of comparable in some ways to what Novo and Lilly are selling right now. But Novo and Lilly are actually already in phase three with the next generation drugs. And for example, Novo's next generation drug, Cagrisema, they've promised a 25% floor for weight loss. And we'll see data on that later this year. All right. Hard to believe. 20% of U.S. kids are overweight. Um, could be a big runway for these obesity drugs. Emily Field, always great to have you here. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Thank you. All right. Stand on the health front. A programming note. Be sure to catch Power Lunch today. They're diving into Rare Disease Day with a special lineup, including former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb and the CEO of biotech company CRISPR. That all begins at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Power Lunch. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, an open AI investigation into whether the company has been misleading investors. Details on how CEO Sam Altman factors into that probe. That and much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially, step up like a boss and save the day, or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your big money movers. We're going to kick this thing off with another stock at a 52-week high. It's Okta. The cybersecurity giant beating earnings and revenue estimates, uh, citing some strong win rates. It's also confident in momentum for the year ahead, adding the impact from last year's security breach is, quote unquote, likely minimal. Those shares right now, they're up almost 24 percent. AMC under some pressure, despite reporting better than expected results, revenue growing by almost 12 percent and adjusted EBITDA nearly tripling. Management attributing those increases to who else? Taylor Swift and Beyonce's concert films. Uh, what was it? Era's tour one? I think the other one was Renaissance. I don't know. I'm not up on it. All right. Company says both movies help ticket sales across the country, representing, and you don't hear this very often, you don't hear fractions in the news uh, business world very often, one-ninth of fourth quarter box office totals. However, shares of AMC down over 8%. Also, Duolingo shares, they're surging. The language learning app notching record bookings and quarterly profit. It expects similar strength for both the first quarter and the full year. The stock has lagged so far this year, but has more than doubled over the past 12 months. Shares of Duolingo up just over 22%. We're also watching shares of Salesforce this morning. Weak guidance weighing on the stock despite an 11% jump in revenue. The company's also initiating a 40-cent dividend, leaving Boeing and Amazon as the only two Dow stocks without dividends. CEO Mark Benioff calling the quarter phenomenal on Mad Money last night. We had a phenomenal quarter with uh, record uh, revenues and profits and cash flow, and we're projecting incredible numbers uh, for the year, especially our cash flow number is just phenomenal. 
All right, let's dive deeper into the quarter with Stefan Slowinski, Global Head of Software Research at BNP Paribas Exxon. Stefan, good to see you as always. Frank, good to see you too. All right, so help me dig through this. Uh, better than expected results, but this seems like another one of these, these cases where the guidance and the call, that's what people are paying more attention to. Um, did you change your price rating, uh, your rating, excuse me, or your price target after this report? We're still outperform on Salesforce. It's actually still our, our top pick. We still see 27% upside. We see it as a, a Gen AI pure play. And, and we're starting to see that come through now with all of the product announcements, the Einstein One products that are coming available. Um, and so, you know, it's exciting to see that starting to come through for Salesforce. And, uh, you know, we're seeing more momentum across the industry now with, you know, Gen AI hype and buzz turning into reality with products being launched, pricing being announced customers trialing, and, and that should ramp as we go through this year and really contribute more to numbers over the next couple of years. All right, so you're still really positive on the stock. Again, we just showed it. Your price target is 381, as you mentioned, about a 27%, uh, a little bit more than that upside in the stock going forward. So I want you to help me translate this because I was listening to the call. So what did the company mean since you're so excited about the stock? What's a more measured buying environment? And then on the other side, demand for artificial intelligent products is heavy, but the guidance doesn't factor in much effect from that category. I mean, parse that for me. Either it's more measured or we're getting a lot of demand for AI, but how could it be both and we're not going to include the AI in the guidance? Yeah, so Salesforce for the last two years, just like everyone, has seen this measured environment. Um, and so, you know, with a subscription model, that lag effect is continuing to, to kind of weigh on near-term growth. Um, but last quarter, Mark Benioff talked about these green shoots of recovery um, CEOs starting to talk about, you know, uh, unlocking some of that pent up spend um, and planning for the next upswing. Uh, he confirmed that last night, not only Mark, but also the CFO confirmed that last night. They're talking about a 180 degree turn um, in those discussions with clients. And so you did see last night the stock was down four to five percent before the call. They guided for 10 percent plus subscription revenue growth for the next year. Consensus was at 11 percent. Okay. Um, so that was what was weighing on it. But after the call, you actually saw the stock up 1% on some of those comments. So generally, Salesforce seen as a bellwether. Just very quickly, is this report, is this a positive trend when it comes to selling AI products, when it comes to just tech spending in your mind? Absolutely. Okay. I think those comments about the improving environment are positive. And also, when you look at the pricing, um, you know, they, their, their premium sales cloud SKU is about $330. Got it. They just announced their Einstein One SKU at $500. That's a 50% uplift. Okay. Uh, and obviously, they have confidence in that. So Stephon, I think that's positive for the AI trend. Before we let you go, I do have to ask you about something that's not going positive, at least not right now. Uh, Snowflake shares down big following the, uh, the announcement that CEO Frank Slootman, the other Frank in business, will be stepping down as CEO. What's your take on Salesforce? Much to do about nothing. Do you still see this company as being strong even without Slootman? Look, we're neutral on Snowflake. I think you have three problems last night. One is product revenue growth deceleration continuing from 33% last quarter, 22 23% this year, which means you exit this next year in high teens. Um, Datadog, Azure, AWS are all accelerating. Snowflake's decelerating, so that's not good. Secondly, you still have very deeply negative margins, okay. almost minus 40%. And then, as you said, the CEO is leaving. So not a good combination today for Snowflake. Yeah, a lot going on there. We're looking at the chart right now. Big drop off there. Shares are down more than 22%. Stefan Slowinski, great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, Thanks, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, paying extra for a Dave's Double or Baconator. Just apparently out of the question at Wendy's after some high-pointed social media backlash. We're back on Worldwide Exchange after this.
It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Investors are bracing for the market's big event of this week, the latest look at the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. Futures in a bit of a holding pattern ahead of that reading. Not in a holding pattern, that's Bitcoin. It's hovering at its highest level in more than two years. We're going to dig into the bull and the bear cases on whether crypto can keep up this renewed momentum. And Apple not wasting any time in making a bigger pivot towards artificial intelligence, sending its strongest signal yet, it's embracing the red-hot new tech. It is Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Hong. Let's get you ready for the last trading day of February. We pick up a half an hour with a check of U.S. stock futures after a lower session for stocks yesterday. On this final day of February trading, take a look at futures in the red across the board. The Nasdaq just slightly off of its lows of earlier. The Dow basically at the same level it was. Okay. Despite the recent weakness, the major indexes, they're on pace for their fourth positive month in a row with gains since November the 1st, between 17 and 24 percent. The Nasdaq, the leader, up over 24 percent. We're also tracking a possible broadening of the market. A lot of people calling for that. Even though stocks, they're lower for the week, there's about 67 names in the S&P 500 that are trading at all-time highs or 52-week highs. You want to get your notepad out. We've got a long list. Home Depot, fractionally lower right now, but still pretty close to a 52-week high. Costco, AbbVie, Netflix, keep going. General Electric, American Express, Micron, and Sherwin-Williams, some of these names in the red, but still very close to their highs. All right, sticking with that theme, the S&P Equal Weight Index is now outpacing the market cap-weighted index this week by nearly 50 basis points. Take a look. The Equal Weight just barely in positive. However, the normal S&P down over a third of a percent. And we're checking the bond market ahead of today's PCE reflation import report. The benchmark right now at 4.31, ticking up just a bit since earlier. Uh, also seeing the, the uh, 30-year bond at 4.44. It's moved higher in the month of February. This is often seen as a read on inflation expectations. Okay, that is your morning setup. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau back with those. Silvana? Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, the SEC reportedly opening a probe into OpenAI and whether it misled investors. According to the Wall Street Journal, the regulator is looking at the internal communications of Sam Altman after the company temporarily removed him as CEO last year. Meanwhile, Apple wasting no time in making a bigger pivot towards AI after reportedly abandoning abandoning its EV ambitions. Now, during yesterday's annual shareholder meeting, CEO Tim Cook said his company is pouring money into the technology, adding that Apple sees incredible breakthrough potential for generative AI. And while Apple hasn't unveiled a competitor to open AI's uh, GPT or Google's Gemini, Cook teased a major announcement later this year. And Wendy's pulling a U-turn on an apparent price-surging strategy. The fast food chain saying it has no plans to raise menu prices during times of peak demand. This after the company faced backlash over comments by CEO Kirk Tanner earlier this month that suggested Wendy's may start testing what he called dynamic pricing, Frank. Yeah, that wasn't going to work for me. It just wasn't going to work. No, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate him trying to float it out there right. to see what it was. Like, no. But I'm not paying more for a Frosty because it's no. 415. Exactly. I'm just not exactly. doing it. No, yeah. I'll just not get it or I'll wait. <laughs> or I'll go to Chipotle. Exactly. Boom, there you go. I'm out. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right, now turn our attention to Bitcoin and the rally shows, it just shows no sign of slowing down. The crypto asset up more than 46% this month alone. 
Take a look at that chart. It's moving about three and a half percent higher right now. Briefly touched 64,000 yesterday for the first time since November of 2021. We're now hovering just below its all-time high of 68,982 bucks. It hit that back on November the 10th in 2021. Add this stat to the long list of crypto superlatives, the iShares Bitcoin Trust, ticker IBIT. It's our record, $520 million in inflows on Tuesday, the largest daily inflow so far among the batch of newly approved spot Bitcoin ETFs. Joining me now to discuss just how far this rally can go or if it's merely a house of cards waiting just for a slight breeze to knock it over is Jeffrey Kenrick, head of crypto research at Standard Charter Bank and David Tice, chief investment officer at the Ranger Bear Ranger Equity Bear ETF. Uh, good morning, Jeff. I'm going to start with you. Uh, you are our bull. Welcome back to the show. We had you on last year to talk about Bitcoin. Back then, you said uh, you were very bullish on the potential for Bitcoin. Right now, you're giving us some interesting price targets. 100,000 by the end of 2024, 200,000 by the end of 2025. What are the catalysts for this nearly two-year rally? Right now, as you just mentioned, it's the ETFs. You've had huge inflows. Uh, the inflows to the new nine is $14 billion. Uh, it, the, the net inflow, once you take Grayscale out, which has had selling so far, is about $6 billion already. It's about 110,000 new Bitcoins are being held um, in uh, in, in a net sense with the new nine minus the, the grayscale outflow. So that's driving us right now. Obviously, we also have the halving coming up. We're about six weeks away from that as well. So um, I suspect we'll print a fresh all-time high right around the time of the halving, perhaps even before that, given the price action over the past week or so. And then as we head through this year, we should also see the broader market, i.e. Fed rate cuts, probably by the middle of the year as well. That should continue to help. So we have the ETF inflows, the halving, we have the Fed likely to help us as well down the track. We have this growth narrative, which seems to be helping okay. lift all stocks um, as well at the moment. So really everything heading in the, <laughs> in the right direction. So you're clearly bullish. Just basically everything's pro-Bitcoin right now. David, I'm going to come over to you. You're a bear when it comes to Bitcoin, but just to be fair, you're not anti-cryptocurrency, but you think that Ether is going to create a lot of competition for Bitcoin. Well, I'm very worried about the entire crypto market, and it's largely because of the ancillary market, Tether. And Tether has about a $96 billion market cap. And what's interesting, guys, is that JP Morgan just a few days ago, January 22nd, here's the headline. JP Morgan warns of increased risk for crypto market due to Tether's lack of regulatory compliance and transparency. They also mentioned that rapid expansion could create problems. Now, Tether has had a significant fine, $40 million from the CFTC back in 2021, and also the New York Attorney General. So people that are super bullish on the crypto market ought to really take a look at Tether. All right. By the way, David, thank you for correcting me. I, I think I said Ether. I did mean to say Tether. I just think I left the T off of what I wanted to say right there. Uh, Jeff, I want to come back over to you. The happening. It sounds like a horror movie, but actually it's expected to be good for Bitcoin. Exactly. So in about six weeks from now, the new Bitcoins that come from the mining process um, will halve. So right now um, that comes in um, at about six and a quarter uh, each time. That's going to halve. So Literally, the inflation rate, which is right now about 1.7% in new coins year on year, is going to go down to about 0.8%. So that's one 
very large positive. You also see in the mining community, you tend to see consolidation around that. Miners have been buying new, more, uh, much more uh, productive, uh, efficient computers over the past 12 months, so that also helps. So that's why the halving process is very important. It's been a catalyst in previous cycles, but of course this time we have the ETF inflow as well. So right. ETF inflow plus halving, 100,000. If anything, uh, my targets are now starting to look too conservative. You know, there's been a lot of talk about this happening coming up. Uh, David, yesterday we saw the Bitcoin miners. They actually traded lower, even though Bitcoin's trading higher. Um, so, you know, some analysts believing the happening and the fact they're going to make less for Bitcoin mining possibly a factor. But in your mind, why isn't the happening? Why isn't that going to be a big boost for Bitcoin that we already see is rallying very strongly? So happening has historically created up cycles in Bitcoin prices. There's no doubt about that. And that's an issue that is certainly favorable. But I feel like this underlying issue, people have talked about this uh, tether issue for a while. And really, this is a huge deal that JP Morgan provided this warning right now. And so if you look at tether, from what I understand, they're still not doing audits, they're doing attestations. Now, think about that. How about audits, not attestations? And they're doing these attestations every quarter. There ought to be more than that. Okay. People need to come out and ask, where are the audits? Okay. Uh, I want to ask both of you very quickly. We do have to get going. Um, inflation and the economic conditions, how do they play a part when it comes to Bitcoin? Of course, today we're waiting for PCE, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. The Fed's also signaled higher for longer. Jeff, I'm going to come back to you first again. Um, if, in, if inflation stays elevated, if it's still higher for longer, we see these rate cuts pushed out very quickly. How does that impact Bitcoin? The core use case for Bitcoin is an alternative to the broader financial uh, conditions, right? So when the Fed and other central banks were printing money uh, in 2020, that obviously helped Bitcoin push quite a lot higher because there was slightly less trust in the traditional financial system, if you like, in terms of central banks. We saw that last year as well. Uh, where we had problems with SVB, et cetera, in March. Um, right now, inflation isn't really too much of a, of a problem. Rate cuts will help. But so long as the economy remains strong, which it looks like it is, and inflation doesn't reaccelerate to the top side, i.e. we don't get rate hikes from the right. Fed any time in this cycle, I think it's fine. All right, David, uh, agree, disagree? I mean, inflation higher for longer. What does it mean in your mind for Bitcoin? So inflation being higher is definitely good for Bitcoin. We were actually bullish with our small hedge fund Bitcoin back in 2020, and we rode Bitcoin from 10,000 to about 50,000. So we're not always bare on Bitcoin. Definitely, we have fiat money today, so hold gold instead. All right. Jeff and David, great to see both of you. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Appreciate it. All right, sure. turning now to Washington, D.C., and President Biden, former President Trump, they're heading to Texas today, actually, for dueling visits at the southern border. Both are calling for stricter enforcement on illegal crossings, but their pledges come as data shows the crucial role immigration has played in the resilient U.S. economy over the past year. Megan Casella joins us now from Washington with much more on these numbers. Megan, good morning. Good morning, Frank. And that's right. So recent economic data has showed us that U.S. immigration has been crucial to boosting our labor supply, to slowing inflation, and really helping the economy avoid a recession this year. And these trends are set to continue to the extent that the Congressional Budget Office has actually just revised its own projections to say that higher immigration, both legal and illegal, will boost growth by $7 trillion above what had previously been expected 
over the next decade. And take a look at some of these recent trends. So we really saw immigration drop off under President Trump's first term and then during the COVID pandemic. And that corresponded with with hiring issues and higher inflation. And now we're really seeing that rise. And a full half of all labor force growth in the past year has been due to immigration, according to Economic Policy Institute analysis. As that has increased, price growth has since slowed down. And this is something that Fed Chair Jerome Powell himself has actually highlighted, saying that the immigration rebound has been a big part of labor market rebalancing over the last year. Experts now say that reducing that flow of immigrant labor will hold back the economy. Policies that would restrict the supply of immigration and immigrant workers um, would have a negative effect on economic growth. So we'd have fewer people available to fill jobs. We'd have fewer consumers, uh, you know, fewer people participating in our society in other economically productive ways. Now, as you know, Frank, the labor market is still very tight. We still have 9 million jobs open, but you're not going to hear President Trump or President Biden or former President Trump talk about this at the border today. The focus today is going to be on enforcement. And Biden administration officials tell us the president's remarks will focus on emphasizing the need to pass a bipartisan border agreement. Frank. All right. Megan Casella live in D.C. Megan, thank you very much. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, C3 AI shares, they are surging on the back of quarterly results. The key market that has the CEO fired up. Plus, our special look at China's auto revolution finds our Phil LeBeau in Chile, where Chinese vehicles are seeing real dominance on those roads. Phil, over to you. Frank, down here, one out of every three new vehicles sold in this country are being imported from China. Yes, China. We'll explain why they're so popular when Worldwide Exchange returns. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a market flash for you now on C3AI. You can see shares are up just over 15% after the software firm posted better-than-expected third-quarter results. It also narrowed the range of its full-year revenue forecast, which is still ahead of analyst estimates on the earnings call. uh, CEO Tom Seibel saying the enterprise market is on fire. Again, shares up over 15%, about 15.5% right now. Turning our attention now to some news out of Washington. The Biden administration announcing the Commerce Department will begin investigating national security risk from so-called connected autos that have parts made in China and other countries of concern. This development coming as China faces booming demand for its homegrown autos domestically and all around the world. Our Philip has more on China's auto revolution from one country that's really buying in, Chile. Phil, over to you. Frank, they've been buying in at a very rapid pace over the last four years. That's really when China auto sales, Chinese vehicle autos, their sales increased here in uh, in Chile. And we went to San Antonio, Chile, which is about an hour west of here. That is the main port where they import vehicles from around the world. And increasingly, when the ships are coming in, the vehicles driving off are from China. In fact, they import about 90% of the vehicles that are that are sold here. Now, they import all 100% of the vehicles sold, but 90% come through this port, which is run by DP World Chile. And when we talked with the CEO, we asked him, have you noticed this increase, or when did it really catch your attention? Here's what he had to say. Anecdotally, you, you see a difference in the, the, the brands and the, and the diversity of the brands that we handle. But when we actually look at the statistics and see I think it was 37% of the market now uh, is, is Chinese-made vehicles. 
to me, that's astonishing. That's uh, that's quite a jump in a fairly short period. And you see it here. We see it. Yeah, and you see it on the streets of Santiago. 37% are built in China. 33% are actual Chinese auto brands. So you've got companies like SAIC or BYD who are now selling here. And the main reason, when you talk with people why they have embraced Chinese vehicles, not only are they better built than they used to be, but there is the price difference. Here's an example. This will drive it home very clearly. You compare the price of a Toyota Corolla Cross at just over $24,300. A comparable vehicle, which is made by Great Wall out of China, is the Havel Jolien. Look at the price there, just over $18,000. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that when people are going and shopping for autos in Chile, that price difference has caught their attention. Price is very important. I was looking at a Subaru, and I know that's not a Chinese brand, so the price is a little higher. And that is what we heard time and again at an auto mall. People saying, look, I bought Chinese before. The price is right. I'll buy it again. Take a look at shares of BYD versus, uh, versus Toyota and General Motors. Uh, you can see that Toyota obviously benefiting because of the sales of hybrid electric vehicles over the last year and a half or so. They've boomed, and that has really helped shares of Toyota. But BYD is coming on strong here, Frank. We went to a right. BYD auto gallery, if you will. They just started selling here last June. They're expecting to do very well here, even though EVs are just a small part of the market right now in Chile. Frank, back to you. So, Phil, first and foremost, thanks for selling the bet back here at EC. We couldn't decide if it was Chile or Chile. You settled it. Um, on the other side, we see so many automakers, whether it's Mercedes, Toyota, making vehicles here in the U.S. Right now, China just exporting millions of vehicles. When will Chinese automakers start building more vehicles in foreign markets? Depends on the market. The place that people are focused on right now is Mexico. We know that there are several automakers who are eyeing a manufacturing facility, a final assembly facility in Mexico for a good reason. One, it gives them entry into NAFTA so they can sell into the United States without a 25% tariff. And also, Mexico has more trade agreements with countries where they can export that you can't find in other places. Good example, Mexico to Brazil. That's a very popular manufacturing base and then a base where the vehicles are sold. So that's one area where you'll see the Chinese expand. But bottom line is this, Frank, they've got a third of the world's capacity, assembly lines, in China, and they need to keep those going because the economy has slowed down. That's why they're exporting so many vehicles. Mm, important point right there. Our Phil LeBeau live in Chile. Great to see you, Phil. Great reporting as always. Thank you. All right, as we had to break here on Worldwide Exchange during February, CNBC is celebrating black heritage as we had to break. Here is MNT Bank CEO Renee Jones. As a black CEO of a Fortune 500 company, I may be an exception. But it's important to remember that there are many exceptional people who create positive change and inspire others every day. Black Heritage Month gives us that opportunity to celebrate the many exceptional, absolutely extraordinary people in our black and brown communities across America. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The major indices set to close out February with their fourth straight positive month ahead of today's PCE inflation report. We often call it the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. Let's now bring in Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you, Frank. All right, let's just jump right into it. How do you see today shaping up? What's your WEX word of the day? 
Yeah, so my word of the day is actually head fake. I, I squeezed in a hyphen there, but not a head fake in the sense of uh, inflation re re reversing the way we normally talk about it, but more a head fake with the uh, broadening that we've been talking about over to small caps from large caps and mega cap tech specifically. All right, so you can't want to set us straight. You're calling it as a head fake. We were just talking about the S&P equal weight outperforming the regular S&P earlier. We we're talking about all the new 52-week and all-time highs. Is that the head fake you're talking about? It is. I think a, a, a higher for longer message from the Fed backed by a higher PCE reading today probably means that the, the market goes back to its favorite safe haven trade, which is big tech. All right. So it sounds like you agree with a fund strat. I'm going to bounce this off of you. Fund straight out with a note last night saying, in part, the mild consolidation should represent a buying opportunity for a push higher into mid-March before any consolidation sets in. And goes on to say it's very possible that the triple Q's and Nasdaq 100 could lead the markets higher. Agree or disagree with this note from Fundstrat? I agree. I think that the, the mainly the fortress balance sheets that these companies have, right? I'm talking Microsoft and Amazon and Google and uh, uh, others uh, that they compete against. Uh, they have tens of billions of dollars sitting in cash that they can deploy to continue to innovate and grow their businesses irrespective of how long it takes the, the Fed to finally start to cut rates. And so smaller companies that are impacted by those rates and are needing those rate cuts, the longer we hold off and the longer we stay elevated, it only starts to hurt them more and more. So I think, you know, it, it feels good to say okay. that the market is broadening a little bit, but more than likely, we're going back in that direction. There you go. Oh, you know, just in full disclosure, by the way, Fundstrat, Tom Lee specifically, also calling for small caps to rally 50 percent this year. I know you're not a big fan of small caps especially in the higher for longer environment. I want to get to your pick for us. Uh, it's the CIBR ETF. It's a cybersecurity ETF. Normally you come with single stock picks. Why ETF in this case? Yeah, so I think last week we got Palo Alto uh, all of a sudden fell off a cliff, and I thought that move was a little bit absurd. But what's happening now is consolidation will start to take effect inside the cybersecurity sector specifically. So rather than having to perfectly call the, the right name at the right time, I think buying the ETF and owning the basket is probably the safer approach right now. You know, speaking of the right time, we got to say goodbye, Malcolm, but always great to see you. Your pick for today, CIBR. That's going to do it for us. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Making my cat happy is my number one priority, and Fresh Step Out Stretch Litter helps me do just that. Meet Mr. Mittens. Mitty, for short. Ah! Mitty is happiest when his litter box is clean and fresh, and Fresh Step Out Stretch is amazing at absorbing waste and odor. We sure have found our common ground, haven't we? Happy cat, happy life. Ah! Find Fresh Step Outstretch at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates.